0: Good morning. Well, thanks, for Doug, for that <laughs> preface that people are going to not like where I'm going to have to say about where I'm from. But I'm, fr- I'm from here, but um, what I was going to say was that not everybody's a football fan, but I know uh, this coming week is really big for those of you who were raised like me or maybe the opposite side. I was sooner born and sooner bred. And so (laughs) we, you don't have to take sides. This is not the time. We all know what side I'm on. We know what side, if you're on the wrong side, but, um, remember we're all, we love each other. We're in the same building, right? We're all here. Um, Next week is a big uh, game for OU fans, for Texas fans. It's the one day you don't go to the fair, just like any other day. Go to the fair any day besides next Saturday. Um, It's a big game. And I haven't seen these necessarily around here that much. Maybe I just... Maybe people haven't hung them up yet. But growing up, I always remember seeing uh, flags that people put in their yards that were house divided flags. Do You know those? Where it's the OU on one side and Texas on the other. And I always wondered, it's like, how could they live with somebody <laughs> who went to UT? I just don't get it. <laughs> or, you know, AM and UT, whatever. There's They make so many of those now because. Man, we have found a lot of ways to divide ourselves, right? <laughs> and not even just college, colleges. Um, uh, although I should say, I did not end up going to OU. Even though most people, I got gifts for going to OU because people thought I was going to OU. But I didn't go. I went to Baylor. And that's another, uh, that's another story we'll talk about later. But um, there are lots of ways that we've divided ourselves. And I wonder what... Some of the ways are that that immediately pop into your head. I think the first right off the bat is politically, are we red or blue? (laughs) Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Maybe we divide people into Christian or non-Christian. And I think we could all picture somebody that we disagree with, that we have divided ourselves from, that I'm on this side and they're on the other side. That's the categories we put ourselves in. We can all picture that person or that group that we are distinctly not. And I think about the church, the capital C church, not this church in particular, but all churches across the world, the cap- that's what I mean with capital C church. Um, if we had a flag for the world, for the capital C church, we absolutely would have a house divided flag. We are a house divided. But I don't think it would just be into two. It would probably be into like, I don't know, 30,000. I don't know, so many ways that we've divided ourselves. Catholic and Protestant. Catholic and Orthodox. Um, You have baptism, infant baptism or uh, believer's baptism. You have organ church or guitar church. We have divided ourselves into lots of different ways. And I... I don't even know if we've made the conscious realization of how we've gotten to be in this division, that how we, here we are in a United Methodist church, yet there is a Lutheran church and a Presbyterian church and a non-denominational church and another non-denominational church, a different one, all within a mile of us. We are a house divided. If there's one thing that we are known for as Christians... If there's one thing that we're real good at, it's making a division. Now, this isn't a new problem. This has literally been a problem since the beginning. It's where Paul has written all of the letters in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul. It's all because there are things going on in the church. There were disagreements and divisions already from its inception. We did great. We lasted all of maybe 30 seconds before we started arguing. <laughs> And poor, those, the poor church at Corinth, the Corinthians, man, they had two letters, probably more, but they had two letters and they're long. And that's not a good thing when you're getting a letter from Paul. You don't want it to be long because that means you did a lot of things wrong. <laughs> and Paul, uh, we talked about a little bit about last week, some of the things that uh, Paul addressed to the Corinthian church. But this week, we're in a whole new category of uh, what Paul is addressing in this divided church, in this church that ha- is having all kinds of disagreements. So if you would t- turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, Paul says this. Now, I don't praise you as I give the following instruction because when you meet together, it does more harm than good. First of all, when you meet together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I partly believe it. (laughs) So right off the bat, Paul is saying, uh, just to preface, uh, this is not, I'm not patting you on the back. (laughs) This is a warning. You are not doing a good, it's not good that when you gather It's worse than when you're separate. That's already, you're getting it wrong. (laughs) Off to a bad start. And the fact that he says, yeah, and you know, that doesn't surprise me. I've heard there's divisions. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. (laughs) It's not what you want to hear from Paul. He goes on to say, it's necessary that there are groups among you to make it clear who is genuine. So when you get together in one place, it isn't to eat the Lord's meal. Each of you goes ahead and eats a private meal. One person goes hungry while another person is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on God's churches and humiliate those who have nothing? What can can I say to you? Will I praise you? No, I do not praise you for this. So what's happening here is that the Corinthian church, that as they gather together uh, and they're sharing the Lord's meal, the Lord's supper, uh, they are not showing up while they are showing up and the rich people are just taking their seat at the table as they always would have a spot at the table and they're not sharing it with everybody. So they're taking their seat because they're used to having their seat at the table, and they're eating as much as they want and drinking as much as they want. And the people who are poorer, who are part of, who go to this church, house church, uh, they're not making sure that they get a seat at the table. They're not sharing their meal with them. So that's why Paul says, "Some of you are drunk before some of you have even gotten a taste of the wine." They're not sharing the meal. And Paul says, you know, you can eat like that at your house. You have a house to eat and drink in. Every other meal you can eat like that. Um, But when you're gathering for God, that's, that's not how that works. That's not how it's supposed to be. And Paul's saying, if you're looking for a pat on the back for gathering, you guys have gathered together. You think that you're doing a great job because you're all gathering together and celebrating the Lord's meal. But I'm I'm not giving you a pat on the back. You missed the point. And in reading this scripture, I felt convicted. I was realizing that I often feel like I... I deserve a pat on the back for gathering here every every Sunday morning and I work here. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, God, <laughs> I showed up this morning. Look, it's me. Hello. Can't you see me through the stained glass? Aren't you proud that I'm here? And God's thinking, oh yeah, that's great. I'm um, looking at this. Is everybody, is all are all of my children welcome here? Is everybody that I made going to be embraced here? I don't see everybody. And Paul, Paul takes this as the opportunity to remind the Corinthians of why they share a meal together. Paul says, I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And he did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Every time you drink it, do it to remember me. I think we would do well to remember the words of Jesus, to remember that meal, what it was for, the meal that Paul calls the Lord's Supper that maybe some of us grew up calling the Eucharist or the, um, we call it Holy Communion in United Methodist Church. It's all the same meal that we're talking about. Why would this, though, be Paul's solution to this divided church? Why is Paul, just by saying, repeating what Jesus' words, he doesn't expound on them, he doesn't explain, he just repeats Jesus' words. That's his solution to this house divided, is the words from the Last Supper. And Paul, in these words, Repeats that there are four basic things that make up communion, four main elements to communion, and that's bread and wine. That's very obvious, and God also pretty obvious part of communion, but also the table. So bread and wine—that's we—that tends to be what we picture if somebody said holy communion or Eucharist. However, uh, your the tradition you were most familiar with, called it, Um, but why bread and juice? Why is it bread and juice, bread and wine, why is that the solution for a house divided? I think it's because everybody eats. Everybody eats. And bread and juice, everybody has access to something like that, some kind of grain, something to drink, everybody has access to those things and everybody needs those things. Every, every person who has ever lived, ever breathed, who will ever live and ever breathe has needed food and drink. We all need it and we all need it because it gives us energy, because it fills us, it strengthens us. That's what that f- bread and juice do for us. And that's what God is doing through that bread and juice. God uses that bread and juice to show us that God does the same thing for us. That God does the very thing that is tangible that we see in bread and juice. That, f- that strengthens us. That uh, fills us and gives us um, energy for the day. That God actually does those things for us, not only physically, but also spiritually. And in all ways, that's what God does for us. And of course, like we said, of course, God is part of communion. Uh, God is the one doing the nourishing, giving us the strength, both physically and spiritually, uh, doing the filling. God is using the tangible things to communicate grace that's something that's intangible, that we can't see. But God uses the bread and the juice to show us God's love very tangibly. But the final thing is that at communion, there's the table, the gathering of people. It's the gathering of people who eat the bread and drink the juice. So the bread and juice don't do a whole lot if they're not being eaten or drinking, drunk. And everybody gets to come to the table. It's not only everybody needs those things, needs the nourishment, needs the filling, and needs the strength. But Jesus shows us over and over again throughout the Gospels that everybody is welcome at Jesus' table. If you look through the Gospels, Jesus eats with all kinds of people, Pharisees and uh, sinners of all kinds that go named and unnamed, tax collectors and men and women and children, people who were sick, people who were poor, people who were rich. Jesus ate with every kind of person. And do you think everybody got along at those meals? We actually see a lot, through with a lot of those meals, the arguments that happened. <laughs> There were people at the table together who didn't get along. They all needed to eat. They all needed to drink. So they came to the table together. I think that's what Paul is trying to remind the Corinthian church that the meal that Jesus instructed us to eat, the meal that we know we know so well now, it's not just about the bread and the juice that God works through, but it's about the people who come together to eat. It's about the people who come together to eat. God uses such ordinary things to extend this extraordinary grace. God uses bread and juice and a table. Something that we do every day, hopefully three times, right? I think it's three times. To communicate God's love for us. And not just for us, but every single person in the world is able to, understand that because we all experience hunger. We all know what it is to hunger. Whether you're uh, rich or poor, black or white, first century Palestine, 21st century American, 15th century person in India, you know what it is to hunger. And we are all welcome at the table. God uses communion to unify us, not only to God, but to each other. So every time that we come to the table, every, every time we come to the table at least once a month, and 8.30, it's every week, we come to the table and we dine, we break the bread and we drink the juice. We are dining with every person who has ever come to God's table present, future, and past. Every person who has dined at God's table, we are dining with when we break bread. God uses such ordinary things to extend such extraordinary grace. And as God extends this grace, I think God is calling us to extend the table. This grace is open and available to everyone, so the table is too. We are divided in lots of ways. We have divided ourselves in so many ways. We're really good at that. (laughs) But when we participate in communion, God shows us that we are actually unified. That what happens at the table is what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be people unified with each other and with God. And what the What happens at the table is what the world is supposed to be. That the church is supposed to model for the world. And every month we get the opportunity to do that. To dine together and together with all the world. God uses Holy Communion should show us that we are one. We are the body of Christ. In the very next chapter of that letter to the Corinthians, Paul goes on to do his beautiful metaphor about the body of Christ. It immediately follows this. That we are the body of Christ, that, we, that the church is the body of Christ. And so we as the body of Christ need to be together eating the body of Christ, the bread and the juice we need that to make sure that we are unified. So we, can't, we know we can't do it on our own, clearly. So we need that nourishment that will make us always unified. We need that as often as we can. And on this World Communion Sunday, churches all, all day have across the world been breaking what bread they have. It will look different from ours and the juice will look different from ours, but people all across the world have been breaking bread today and we get the chance to break the bread with them because we are unified. And I want you to think of that person or that group that individual who surely God's grace can't extend to them, or the person who is so different from you, you can't even imagine how different they are. I want you to picture that person and know that they are sitting at the table next to you when you go and take communion in a minute. God's table is for everyone. And God extends us such extraordinary grace to be unified not only to God, but to each other. So I want you to picture the world, the people who are all so different from us as you hear these words that Jesus spoke. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat, This is my body. He took a cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many so the sins may be forgiven. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we confess that we have divided ourselves, and we know that is not what you have ever desired for us. God, would you help us to see each other as unified? By the power of your Spirit, God, unify us to you and to each other. Remind us, God, who we share the table with, that you have welcomed all to the table and that we dine with everyone. God, would you help us to lean on our unity more than our differences and our disagreements. God, by your power, would you strengthen us and nourish us with this miraculous gift of something that seems so ordinary, bread and juice, but God, you make it extraordinary. God, we thank you for the gift of communion. It's in your name we pray. Amen.